0: All right, uh, back with another episode of Gain, Grow, Retain. Uh, coming to you live on a sunny Wednesday here in Charleston. Uh, I've got Jared Fuller. Uh, Jared, what's the uh, what's the weather like for you right
1: now? St. Pete, sunny. Uh, we got the Guinness Book of World Records for most consecutive days of sunshine. So, hey, sun, si- sunshine bad. city.
0: Uh, so Jared's the CEO of Partner Hacker. And um, if I had to describe Partner Hacker, at least how I've come across it, right, is, um, you are creating, um, uh, content media. Um, you're just really trying to trying to create this ecosystem around partnerships and trying to get people to understand how they can, uh, kind of work to a, a SaaS company's advantage. So, um, uh, tell me right or wrong. What else are you doing in there? Uh, give me, give give the audience a little bit more of the explanation of what it actually is.
1: Yeah. So, um, our mission is to build a world where everyone can win together and, uh, what what I find is like, I just posted this video on LinkedIn that went um, pretty viral and the, the title was, You Don't Own the Account. And wh- what do I mean by that? I mean that in 2022 and beyond, that there's so many people that think like, oh, I'm the AE or I'm the CSM. It's my account. It's my account. And it's like, no, that business has hundreds of other pre- pre-existing relationships. You don't actually own that account. So the reason why I started Partner Hacker was to help um, sales leaders, marketing leaders, success leaders how to work with the companies that are already doing business with your accounts, whether that's to drive a save or that's to drive retention or whatever it is, Um, 76% of world trade is indirect, right? The last car you bought, the thing you did on Amazon, like you've gone to a grocery store, like 76% of all world trade is indirect. But yet in B2B SaaS, for whatever reason, we think partner and it's like, no, we're going to lose control. and. Partnerships, you know, was kind of third rail, third wheel for B two B SaaS in a lot of yep. ways. I think for the past few years, except for the big dogs, HubSpot, Salesforce, you know, Shopify, yeah. uh, And now it's um, having
0: a moment. That is, uh, that's interesting that you just mentioned that, though, right? You, you kind of think about some of these um, bigger players, right? And they've they've kind of welcomed these partnership idea, th- these partnerships into their ecosystem to say, hey, this is actually going to be a win win at the end of the day, right? I can um, hopefully kind of bring in more business, so to speak. And then I've also got a partner I can rely on. And if they know us, we know them, then it becomes even more of a harmonious relationship um, you know, that we can actually rely upon. And so do you feel like um, when you look at other B2B SaaS companies, maybe that are, aren't are at that stage, right? Those are the kind of the meccas. But if you start thinking about those um, SMB or mid-market type of B2B SaaS companies, do you think it is just a, um, hey, we're going to lose control and therefore it's going to hurt the relationship? And that's kind of why they've taken this, you know, hey, let's kind of keep partners a little bit arm's length
1: away. Well, I mean, I I led success um, at a minute for a company called PandaDocs. I was VP of sales in BD, and then um, success, um, I built a pro-serve team. I built a um, CS team where we started to drive things like net retention. It wasn't just about, you know, save, churn, support. It was, you know, oh, what's this wider success function? And what ends up happening is you quickly realize uh, is all of the stuff or junk that gets thrown from marketing into a self-serve funnel that's using the product and then they need help and then all of a sudden it becomes a big account or sales assisted and it's like the expectations were mismanaged. The TLDR is I'm fully aware of how often success teams are left to pick up the pieces that what happened upstream in the rest of the org. And um, why? why? Why is that the case? Well, the, the median marketer, like, you know, a good marketer or the median account executive versus the median CSM, who, who makes the least amount of money of those three roles? In my my experience, it's always the CSM. Yeah. yeah. Probably. Right, why is that? Well, it, it, actually, this is a problem. This is a big problem. <laughs> You're going to take someone that's three years out of college, five years out of college, and then go put them in a room with, you know, some executive. If you're selling MarTech, SalesTech, SuccessTech, like data, whatever it is, and they've never walked a mile in their customer's shoes. They're not the expert. So you might have a kick-ass CSM. that has been with you a couple of years. You know, maybe they are a little bit more senior and they really understand the product. But let's say your end customer is a VP of marketing or a CMO. Have they ever been a CMO? No. Yeah, they don't know how to accomplish the change needed for that. So what if, though, that VP of marketing is working with, let's say, an ABM agency, right? where they have consultants that have been VPs of marketing and CMOs, and they're already doing business with that same account that you quote unquote own, would it not behoove you to build that relationship and work with them to better yeah. service your customer? And I've done this at two companies in a row, PandaDoc and Drift, um, and then obviously the market leaders in every category um, you know, do well to partner for customer success with service providers, consultants, tech companies, integrations, you name it.
0: Yeah. it's um, it- the the point rings so true though because the other um, the other aspect that I feel like I try and harp on a lot around customer success is that we spend too much time talking about our own products instead of the, the challenges that the role is going through that we're working with. Right. So example you gave, Hey, I'm working with a CMO, right? Like nine times out of 10, you're probably saying, Oh, our product does X, Y, and Z instead of like, Hey, CMO, I know you have to go to board meeting. I know you're worrying about, Hey, what's the, what is ABM working? Is this, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's, what's next. Right. Um, how can I help answer those questions too? That, that becomes more of a relationship and a partnership that we can build upon too, is that we're not talking about just our own product all the time. But like you said, that requires somebody who is a CSM that's been in the role before, or has the capacity to um, go learn those types of things um, to some degree to be able to talk uh, about them and actually be in a room where you can uh, confidently, you know, kind of talk through those types of subjects and understand, hey, can we have some good suggestions here? And to your point, you know, what better person to do that than if you can go partner with somebody who's been there and done that, and they they've got some consulting services uh, themselves.
1: Yeah, and it's not only just the the agency or the service side, it's also the tech side. I mean, uh, let's be real. In 2022, there is no tech product that I've ever utilized that sits in a silo. It's a part of some other workflow, right? It's a part of some existing thing. So I don't care if it's on the tech infrastructure IT side, on the go-to-market side, or whatever side that it is, there is an existing set of people and processes and technologies that are already in place. How does your product smoothly interoperate with those, change or replace, and what does that mean for those people and processes? that's actually pretty hard. I mean, I I designed, um, so I did this at uh, Drift, uh, Jeff, um, something called the conversational marketing blueprint. Um, I was the global head of partnerships at Drift. But I created the first blueprint for success for our customers. Why? Because I had to go and teach these agencies how to deal with this new form of marketing, which was chat and chatbots. Not just, hi, how can I help you, but like, hey, IBM, we help other companies like XYZ with ABC, and then build a framework for how to do marketing automation and email through a chat conversation, how to drive more leads through chat. That had nothing to do with the product. It had nothing to do with the product. It had everything to do with how to write conversations and then how to integrate with Marketo, how to make this part of a campaign planning process. And guess what? Because that was a partner-led initiative and I was working with some of the world's best marketers, there's over fifty thousand people that have been conversational marketing certified that I built the the backbone for. Yeah, right. Like that's the difference is that it didn't come from the CS org. The CS org had been working on something for a year and a half, but then the partner team came and said, "Hey, I'm going to go work with my best partners to teach other partners how to do this," and then all of a sudden our CS teams taken the certification. And then my uh, VP of marketing, Mark Killens, who built Inbound uh, under HubSpot. Yep. He's like, let's turn this into a full, you know, conversational marketing course and certification. And that ended up driving a ton of customer success. Why? Because we didn't have the ego to think, no, we got this. It's ours. It's only ours. No, we partnered up. Yeah, And yeah. it's a much better outcome. I and mean, we transformed an entire industry um, with, you know, hundreds of copycats now. <laughs> the, um,
0: yeah. And the, the point too, like the um, the point, right, is that you're the other point that I, I was taking away from that is the, the ecosystem of like where your tool lives within. Um, I think a lot of times people live in this world where it's like like hey let's just talk about how great our tool is right hey it's easy to implement you can get it up and running quickly like doesn't that sound so great we don't want it to sound like it's hard to integrate with other uh with the other tech stack or where is the data going to live or what types of decisions what what other types of business business decisions could you make with our uh, with our tool um you don't want to talk about those things during the sales process because you think it's going to slow it down but those are the types of things that, again, I think to your point, those are the types of things that you know somebody who is purchasing a tool or a software is thinking about all the time. I think about it. You know, we've got. I work in the marketing work here at HireLogic, and um, you actually, even take take Gengar for example. I have like seven or eight tools in our tech stack for gangrotain that all interconnect i use zapier i've got you know analytics tools i have a marketing system i've got you know our community and i need all those things to actually integrate to integrate and talk to each other um and you know not one of those i i purchased eight tools not one of those came to me and said hey let me show you, and let's think about how this all inter—you know—how this like works together. That would have been great, right? Or if there was a partner that would have done that, that would have been awesome too. I That's mean, it, me you know, to talk about
1: it, it, totally. I mean, you probably don't have the ACV spend on any of those things to justify if it's just for the podcast, right? But yeah. like the second you start dedicating, you know, CS right dollars to that, yeah, right, yeah. A dedicated headcount like an owned account, so to speak, right? Even though I'm yep. against the the concept, I think rubs me the wrong way. It's like, look, you're renting space, like you're earning the right to work with the account, uh, not the other way around. They didn't pay the right for you to own them. That's not the way that this works. Um, um, so if you think about this, what, what I end up seeing happen, Jeff, uh, more often than not, is that companies that need to get really serious about CS and fix that problem in the sales cycle of them being like, it's really easy to implement, you know, what do they end up doing? Well, more often than not, I see a professional services org get built, yep. right? And is that is that necessarily the best the best call like who do you hire for a professional services org like what is the objective of a professional service is it to break even or is it to be a profit center i am not aware of too many saas companies where they view their proserve org as a profit center and no. but it's like well it fixes the sales problem we can sell a little bit we can cover costs and what, promote your CSMs into another function or role, Yeah, here's the reality. You're not gonna go get those consultants to work in your PS org because they're already working inside of an SI or an agency or another tech company doing something much more expensive, right? They're making yeah. more money.
2: Yep.
1: So why not, instead of building the PS org, why not build a PS org that's different, a partner success org? I, I have an opinion that all partnerships should originate in the customer success department. They shouldn't originate with sales. They should actually originate with CS. All and partnerships. It,
0: Yeah. Well, And and so in that in that mindset, though, right, the the idea in your mind is that, um, like, bring these people in to help uh, become the uh, we'll call it like strategic anchors of these um, customers that we're working with. Right. Because you've got you're bringing in somebody who's got the experience, they've got maybe IP, they've got um, a value to offer to the customer. Uh, and it takes a burden off of our team right again we're building a cs team and and i would love to go hire those consultants but like you said or those those people in that that are building services organizations themselves but they're not going to come work as a csm right like they're
1: they're, they're not going to take a they're not going to take a pay cut from 250k to 120k right <laughs>
0: like <laughs> they're a not. former cm like you said if we're going to sell the cmo's a former cmo is not going to come be a cs a csm for us right and so you're not going to you're not going to be able to have that um clout or that in, inside of your organization and so um going to and going outside of the organization saying you know, being a little bit more vulnerable and saying, hey, we don't have that skill set internally. How do we go find it? And how do we actually partner up to make this
1: a successful outcome for the customer um, is what we have to get to. Totally, and what I find more often than not is as you're building these PS orgs um, or trying to figure out customer success, uh, w- what ends up being the main blocker? It's that you show up to a call, you have some checklist or some onboarding thing or some you know QBR or some process for driving customer outcomes, and the customer outcomes are not actually customer outcomes. They're yeah. your product metrics or north stars, right? Like usage, adoption, integration. There's some. There's something that's about you and not about them. It's not about yeah. their business outcome. It's about you. Now, sometimes there are those CS orgs that figure out how to get to their business outcomes, but let's be real. I doubt that CS orgs are measuring you know the the primary like let's say you sell, sell a sales tech tool right and it's like a sequencer like a sales lofter and outreach yeah are you is is that csm anchoring themselves to pipeline like hey here's my customer all right the success metric is pipeline no that would be terrifying a csm would never tie themselves to pipeline right they'd be horrified they've never generated pipeline in their life they're a csm yeah Right? you see my point like they've yeah, never yeah. had to generate pipeline but your salesperson sold a tool that said we're gonna help you generate more pipeline you throw them over to a CSM and then what's it about activity metrics, usage, adoption like here's the thing the, the if you don't take anything else away from this conversation, I think you should take this away is that in 2006 Clive Humby said data is the new oil right? Right. Yep. that was, And it clearly was, but now the average American gets 400 to 10,000 advertisements per day. Gosh. I can say that again and it still won't hit you in the face, right? Yeah. 400 to 10,000 a day. So what happens when your CSM, even if they're the best, gets off that call is that they get 47 Slack messages, they got 80 Chrome tabs open, and that checklist that your CSM brought to the call to increase customer health falls by the wayside because guess what? Data was the new oil until data lost all of our trust. It's like, here's our data driven insights and how you No, trust is the new data. Meaning if I'm just a CSM telling an executive, hey, you need to change X, Y, or Z. And I don't trust you. I'm not going to act. So working with people that actually have that trust is a far better way to approach that than to say, oh, I'm the expert.
0: Yeah. Or, and even the, like the other piece that that brings in right. Is that you've got somebody more than likely than not, you've got somebody who's gone through something if uh, you're bringing a partner, you've got somebody who's gone through something similar before. Right. So it is a checks and balance of like, okay, we are going to go through this change and have we thought of everything, right. Do we have the actual guardrails that says, Hey, this is actually going to get completed. Um, Cause I can't tell you how many times I've, again, I've, I've bought, I've, like we all have, I've bought enough SaaS tools, especially for here at higher logic. Like uh, I can't tell you how many times I've hopped off a, um, QBR call, check-in call, whatever you want to call it, with a you know a product that we purchased and said, well, you know, talk to you in another quarter and have no, right n- have nothing that's really going to be accomplished um, between then. You know, we have seventeen things on our list; they have one thing on their list to to help us do. Um, let's say so. Let's say we we people are on board, right? They're like, okay, we're going to bring in partners. Uh, we're going to start working with our customers. Um, I would think maybe one of the the limit or the hesitations of people is saying, well, okay, how do I then make sure that my CSM isn't obsolete next to the partner? How do we make sure that they work well together? How do we make sure and kind of like uh, bridge that gap? Are there ways that you've kind of seen, okay, this is this is the right way to make sure and, and kind of bring in and say, okay, you're getting value from a CSM in this way, you're getting value from this partner in this way, um, and kind of helping the customer uh, kind of bridge that gap?
1: The customer leaders, um, the success leaders that I'm aware of and the, the initiatives that I've seen take hold are almost counterintuitive, but here's what I mean by that. There's three competing interests whenever you have a partnership, right? You have your company's interest, you have your customer's interest, and then you have that partner's interest. And the mistake that every single person makes is they make it about the customer. Now, I'm not, that's, that's not to say that's not important. My point is very simple, is if you're in the marketing space, right? And you're working with a marketing agency, or if you're in the IT space, you're working with a systems integrator or SI, what do you need to do? Well, you need to understand what their problem is. What is their problem? Their problem is, uh, okay, we have some overlap with some joint accounts. What do they need to do? They need to build a service model. To what? What are they selling? They're selling the customer outcome. The very thing that I use in that sales example about how that CSM can't attach themselves to pipeline. Well, guess what? If you're working with a sales consultant, what are they attached to? Pipeline. Yep. Right? Like their butts on the line for the thing that your customer actually wants. So what do you need to do? You actually need to help develop the service model for that company, right? The strategy, the service, et cetera. So you need to lean into the problem and go like, I'll give you a great example. Um, Typically there's something like a blueprint. So I mentioned the Drift Conversational Marketing Blueprint. That's yeah. your way of doing things, right? So that's your belief, your philosophy, yeah. like the strategy. And then, The next simple thing is something like a maturity model, right, five phases of maturity. And then instead of trying to teach that to your customers, you work on that with your agencies or your SIs, the people that you're working with. So I did this at Drift again. I produced the revenue acceleration maturity model. There's five phases. I produced it with LeadMD. They were Marketo's number one partner of all time. They did like 3000 Marketo implementations. Now do you think our maturity model was better or worse because I worked with LeadMD? Way better. Yeah. Way better, right? And that allowed us to start anchoring conversations that actually mattered to agencies and actually drive better customer outcomes, then guess what that agency can do? They can go, hey, this blueprint, this maturity model. I got a new line of business here and I can, I have an entry point. So then you, what you try to do is you try to productize or package those services with them. Um, And then it goes into certification and training and enablement. And that's why I think partnerships need to originate there is partner success is company success is customer success. But if you don't prioritize the partner one, which is actually the hardest, right? Eat the frog for breakfast. It is the hardest because the partners are beholden to your customers outcomes. You as much as you think you are, you're not. Yeah.
0: It's the the other point that um, I've seen before, and kind of like I think holds true in this in this aspect is the the more that you can share, hey, here's our philosophy, here's how we believe things, here's how we're going to implement, right? Then you actually get the partners also thinking and saying, okay, well, um, you know, you really got to be thinking about this step in here, and then also here's where I would find myself inserting, you know, here's where I could get inserted, and so then it starts to they start to envision themselves being inserted into that process of saying, oh, okay, once they're going through implementation you know, I could easily step in here. And then now you've also got a blueprint going back to your CS team to say, hey, if you find yourself going through these moments, right? Hey, here's a great moment where we might be able to introduce a partner and, you know, here's how we can position that. But you also find the partner then actually helping lead you and saying, hey, um, here's where I think I could get be inserted. These are the types of projects that I want. You know, this is the type of ICP that kind of fits with the partner or not. But I think you start seeing that when you start opening up the kimono a little bit to say, hey, here's what our process looks like, here's how we're doing this. And I think there's a lot, a lot of people out there that, you know, don't want to do that with partners that, you know,
1: what if a partner works with a competitor, are they gonna tell but, our secrets? Here's and, what I would say. They haven't tried. That's yeah. what I would say. I, I I would challenge anyone that's like, Oh, you know, I can't like we don't want to do that. It, look, you haven't committed. You haven't tried. And why? Because it's hard. This is hard work, but look, if you want to be this the change agent that the board goes, holy cow, we drove better customer outcomes than anyone. I yeah. mean, the, the things that we can talk about are things like fully integrated solutions, like the number of integrations, right? The things we can talk about is tying yourself to customer outcomes. The things that we can talk about is partners that not only drive health and retention, but also growth. And then Guess what? You also become your BFF to your sales leader because fully enabled partners that make money and help their customers, what do they do? They bring you leads. Now, this is the problem of why CS teams don't typically like partners is because they typically originate in sales, right? Yeah, And what that means you have these partners that are disenfranchised because you have some, you know, AE or partner manager being like, "Hey, give me leads, give me leads, give me leads." Then they go out and try to close it and the partner's really doesn't have a model to make the customer successful. They just had a relationship. Yeah. So the CSM doesn't know what the partners, like, hey, there's a partner in this account. And it's like, well, yeah, technically, but well, what are they doing? Well, they just have a relationship. They're not actually doing anything related to your product or service. And that's why I think it's so important that partnerships originate in success is that if you can make your partner successful to help your customers, then that's going to impact the rest of the business.
0: And when you think about too, like the, um, the other thing that I've, I've noticed um, and something that we're, we're trying to, to get better at too, is also just keeping um, partners close to us about we'll call it product updates, we'll call it, um, you know, features that are coming down the pipeline, trying to get some uh, kind of discovery to help us, you know, think about what's the future look like? Um, how do you, how have you seen that work? Well, you know, how do you kind of keep those partners close um, to you to make sure like they feel like they're actually getting kind of behind the scenes, hey, you're, you're with us, right? You're, we're kind of bringing you along in this. What's a way that companies can do that? Maybe success teams can
1: can help kind of facilitate that type of stuff too. So this is where um, we'll diverge from the value of success to sales. Like you have fully enabled partners that are helpful to your customers that helps bring more referrals for sales. Um, if you have fully enabled successful customers via partners, guess what it also enables? It enables marketing, right? So like yeah. what's better than a case study about a customer? It's a case study about a customer where a partner helped them, right? Because then in that situation you really do get to to talk about customer outcomes. Um, So one of the core principles of partnerships that I, I truly believe is make your partners famous. Right. Like herald them whenever they help people, it creates FOMO, it creates a whole bunch of different things. And then your best partners, the ones that are committed to you because you're making them famous. They're helping customers. It's very easy to slot that into any kind of customer advisory board, right. And, or, um, partner advisory board, what have you like, get the experts of the space that are committed to, you know, the category that you're, you know, trying to append or, or change and, um, bring them into an advisory position and then make sure that, you know, like, here's the thing. I'll tell you a story about Salesforce and Mark Benioff. So, uh, one of my good friends is a gentleman named Bobby Napletonia. Bobby was the SVP of Partnerships directly under Benioff in 2003, 2004. So, IPO, App Exchange launch, Salesforce's uh, you know massive trillion-dollar ecosystem of thousands and thousands of consultants and partners, right? Yeah. <laughs> Everything changed whenever Bobby was maniacal, unrelenting to Benioff that said, at sales kickoff this year, Benioff in front of the entire company, partners better be a top three priority or I'm out. That year, a company kickoff, sales kickoff, Benioff got on and he had top three priorities. Partner was one of them. And he said, if you don't have an answer on how you're helping our partners become successful, you don't work here. My point is is that this is not a 1%, a 2%, a 3% project, this is a third of your time. This better be a top three priority for you in success or it's never gonna happen. So like the advisory board things are interesting, but they're not a panacea, right? Like creating this uh, body of work that it might include a blueprint, a methodology, uh, a a services framework, a monetization method. Like um, I created this project at Drift called Pirate Island. Pirate Island, Jared, what the heck are you talking about? What the hell is Pirate Island? Well, the thing about Pirate Island is you can only make it to Pirate Island if you've already been there. What does that mean? That means that the services that we were helping our agencies build, we had to take them there. Like we had to go into accounts together, right? Like we actually got to a place, Jeff, where we were doing outsourced pro serve to our partners. We had shift paradigm delivering PS that our sales team sold. right yeah which is is not that crazy but for a lot of companies they'd be like what well we had to do 10 accounts co-delivered co-delivered together yeah before we were comfortable with them and guess what happened over those 10 accounts lots of pain lots of fear lots of name calling and bad things but guess what emerged out the other side amazing incredible results right they ended up certifying 10 other people on drift and conversational marketing right we ended up doubling the size of our ps team in effectively three months wow for no cost mind you yeah. right you're that's... the cs hey jeff our cs leaders out there right now a bit pressured under budget yeah they are that's a good this is how you this is how you scale that headcount so go get two really badass people a bat the one of the most best consultants from your industry and turn them into like a delivery consultant right yeah So like, I love that, like partner PDC, partner delivery consultant and partner training consultant. I love these two things. These are two roles that I think can give you 10 or 20 X more or like 10 to 20 more like headcount vis-a-vis partners. That partner training consultant is for partner onboarding. Uh, I'll give you an example. Let's say a CSM inherits an account and you're listening for words like agency, SI, integrator, whatever, and you find out there is an agency that's working with your account, but they're not working with you your tech company or your csm yeah yep. that that's that's a problem that's actually not a good thing that's a problem because they might kick you out yeah right they they, might, they what are they saying about you when you're not there so yeah. what you do is you get your partner team to like hey like you flag that in gong so that's a good uh, hack like flag yeah. that in gong listen for those keywords and then once you know you have the conversation about partnering how you can help then that partner training consultant is there to like make sure they understand your product the use cases blah 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 and if they become a partner then that delivery consultant sits in any implementation or service work alongside the CSM and the partner right so like they're they're the ones there to certify in the first you know 3 5 10 whatever benchmarks you have and they actually are highly paid Right, they, they, you are bringing in a consultant that really knows their stuff, but what do you get out of that? Well, shoot, a delivery consultant can really bring up to speed agencies, SIs, whatever, way faster than just a CSM. So that, that's how I tend to think about it: is this needs to be thirty-three percent of your mind share, and you need to get really strategic about how you're competing in this world for people's attention and helping partners build a better business, helping them with delivery um, and building those models. It's it's a transformation.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a lot of work. The, it, the other thing, like you said, though, the other, like the, the aspects of what you mentioned too, right, is that this, this actually creates a flywheel, um, which people talk about all the time. You want to create a flywheel, right? You kind of hear, um, HubSpot talk about this now, like, um, their, their early fly, flywheel was focusing on SEO, right? Hey, we want win SEO. And then it kind of moves to this other things and it all kind of starts building. Right. You have a good partner. You already talked about some of these things, but you, you, uh, work with a great partner, um, uh, you have a great customer outcome, that turns into a good customer story. That's, you know, marketing, sales, then the partner gets excited and they're referring more business, right? So you actually create this flywheel. Uh, And like you said, all of those things then become, uh, I'll call them wins, but right, if if this originates from customer success, how great would it be to go to your leadership and say, hey, we went and worked with two to three different partners and look, here are the accounts that they impacted for us. And then here's the stuff that now, let's just say it's early in the relationship, right? Hey, they worked with us on these couple of accounts. Great, look at all the stuff that's going to come in the back end. They're going to, we're, you know, we've, we've got higher likelihood to renew. That's always good for us. It's more money in the door. Uh, look, now they're going to turn it into a marketing. marketing. We've got some stories that we can tell. The partner's going to be involved. The customer's going to be involved. It's a, um, hey, we're going to co market all, you know, co brand all of this stuff. And then eventually the sales and referrals and, you know, how do we start doing that is going to come with it too. And, and what better way, like you said, hey, customer success is already working hard enough. What better way than to go sh- uh, prove, hey, I'm doing more with less than. Look, I, I worked with this partner and it's starting to help generate more business for us. Um, so I just all the way around my wheel aspect is is like a, a big thing that I think you were kind of hitting on that
1: I want to make sure and call out for people. That, that is it, it's such a good such a good call out. I mean the the funnel you know it's an hourglass, it's whatever it is, like it stops at CS, like no, like it just doesn't work. The flywheel is a great way to think about that because I mean, at at its most foundational level, all returns in life, whether in health, knowledge, wealth, business relationships, come from something that is very simple. It's called compound interest, meaning that any single activity can give you leverage. And if you're in a sales mindset where it's about the transaction, there's no compounding interest. If you're a seller, can you call someone that you sold six years ago and be like, hey buddy, what's up? And like have that relationship. No, you can't, no one does that. It's mm. same thing for success, right? But if there's a partnership there where you're actually partnering with them, There's long-term benefits. I'll give you a couple examples that you just talked about. Let's say you have a company annual event or like a virtual one, whatever it is. You can go do that event alone, right? Just your company and you and your customers and try to bring them to it. Or you can do that with your top tech partners and your top service partners. And guess what? The CAC for that event just went down by a multiple, Yeah. right? Instead of you driving a thousand people, you can drive six, seven thousand for one-seventh the cost. Like that's what it means, and then all of a sudden, your partners start doing things like this. I had a partner that um, uh, was a services partner. It's called uh, Market Link. They specifically help with outsourced staffing and chatting for uh, you know chat platforms, right? So you could have like a virtual agent there. Yeah. Well, the bots were disrupting their business model, right? Because bots can kind of you know take some of that load off. So what they did is they built their own proprietary tech that fixed a a problem, um, what they called lift.ai. Well, all of a sudden, I have a services partner that's also a tech partner, that's now marketing their solution solely for Drift. And we brought in multiple enterprise accounts, and then all of a sudden, my CSMs go, MarketLink really knows how to solve this problem, and they're bringing them in. It's that, what I just talked to you about, compound interest, that flywheel effect. Us being committed to that changed sales, it changed marketing, it changed our product. We did so much from that one account. Where CSMs know who to call. Yeah, it's it's a fun it's a it's a mindset shift. Um, but if you look at every single category leader, that's what they have. They have an ecosystem of partners and and uh, nodes of trust.
0: The other um, the other thing that I wrote down that I wanted to uh, kind of make sure and emphasize as well that I think is a a huge win out of like how do we work well with partners and stuff is um, you've kind of mentioned this idea of trust, right? And and you start thinking about um, people are becoming more. Um, uh, akin to marketing tricks and hacks of the last, we'll call it like 10 years, right? They're, they're, they're kind of understanding. Okay. Um, you know, G2 reviews are great, but those are also the happy people, uh, right. They, they kind of know all these things that you're doing. Um, but so what they're looking for, right. Is okay. Who can I inherently trust? And how do I know, uh, that I can trust, you know, these types of companies, what better way than to know, Oh, this industry expert that I've been following for a long time. Wow. I'm seeing their content. I'm seeing, you know, uh, I'm seeing Jared's content on this other person's on this website for this tech company, right? Or vice versa. I'm starting to see these cross promotions of this content back and forth. And maybe it's uh, starts with blog articles, but then maybe it's methodologies, maybe it's frameworks and, to, and free tools and templates that people are giving out. But that stuff also compounds over time as well, where you start saying, oh, I've, I've now started to associate and see these names together that inherently I trusted Jared because he was an industry expert. I followed him on LinkedIn for five years, but now I've, I've started to build a trust without even really knowing it for this tech company that he works with. And, you know, he might work with a couple, but now I've got a little bit more of a shortened list. Right Now my RFP goes from 20 companies to five because I know Jared and I know he works with X, Y, and Z. Uh, And so I think that idea of like, hey, when you start to find good partners and you start to do, look at their collateral methodologies and you start saying, hey, what's a really big win here is like, let's start sharing the stuff for the benefit of the customer and we can co-promote it. And now, again, we're inherently building trust in the um, in the ecosystem, in the um, in the market, and that actually benefits us both. Now, you know, they get a little bit of a leg up; we get a little, little bit of a leg up. Uh, so that's just another aspect that you kind of touched on that I just think is a big win, um, especially in today's um, way that people are consuming information. Is like, hey, I need to build trust and credibility, and it's all a lot through organic now. Um, you know, social um, website,
1: whatever else it might be. But I just think that there's a, a big aspect there too. It's it's massive. You so you mentioned G two Crowd. Um, If you've bought anything online recently, as a consumer, as whatever, uh, at any review site, what does every single review have? It's 4.7 stars. If it's 4.9, it's fake. If it's 4.5, there must be something wrong. Have you noticed that? I mean, it's everywhere. Everything's Uh, 4.7 stars,
0: right? It's First thing when I go to Amazon, right, is I look at it and I'm like, "This is
1: weird." Everyone's like a four and a half or four point seven. Like, why is everything's this- four point seven? Um, we don't really trust reviews anymore because we don't know who they are, and everyone's playing that game. Like, uh, There's the- <laughs> everything is a game, and the game gets gamed. Right? So every channel dries up. Everything changes. And I think that's what we need to recognize is that how people make purchasing decisions or you know, implementation or you know, save decisions, like, should we really keep this? There's another competitor. Should we go over here? Is they don't go to the review sites. What they do is they go to people that they trust, that are experts, that are like them. And a the problem with customer success is that more often than not, your CSMs are not like your customers. They're not going to go to your CSMs. They're not going to go to your cut. You're not. No matter. Even if you run the best CS org in the world, it's highly unlikely that in a decision where a CMO or a CRO or a CPO or a CTO, name any of them, goes, "Hey, I got, I got this current platform." I'm evaluating this other thing because it's cheaper, it's better, it's faster, whatever thing that might have influenced them to think even that way. Are they going to ask your CSM that or are they going to ask someone that they trust? They're going to ask someone that they trust. They're going to go to their community, right? So you better be in that watering hole where your community is. Well, guess what? As a vendor, your CSMs probably aren't going to be there, yeah. but guess who can be? Your partners.
0: Yeah that's the uh i like the i was about to say, if you didn't plug community i was about to because i was gonna say that's that that is the like number one thing that i'm especially um i've been seeing these days right is that you it, it happens in two ways i've got a confidant of five to ten people that i've just built an inherit trust with over like 10 years and i have in a um uh, i have them in a linkedin group or on an email thread and i'll just shoot a message hey have you used this product you know what's your experience or you go to communities that are being built um right now and you can ask you know somebody that you know is in your target demographic because you're in these specific communities i'm mean, community for uh, B2B SaaS marketing leaders. I'm in a community for this, right? And you start to inherently know, oh, okay, these are the people like me, I'm gonna go ask them uh,
1: before I go. So I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. There's a community called Modern Sales Pros. It's been around forever. Yeah. Um, it's a Google group, like meaning it's an email listserv. It's old school, right? Like oh, it's yeah. not even fancy. Um. And I was in the purchasing decision for like an Insight Squared or a Clary, which is like a forecasting tool, right? Um. So I email uh, MSP and I say, hey, I heard a lot of people are switching from um, Insight Squared to Clary. Taf Love, who's a sales ops consultant that I really trust. Um, he's really, really good. It was like, no, you got to go with Clary, and in fact, I'll help you out with it. I'm like, oh, thank God! Like, my sales ops is slammed. Blah, blah. that's how I, that's how purchasing decisions are made. Why? Because yeah. Clary invested with Taft to help Iceberg RevOps, right? Like, go, okay, here's this thing. Like, that's just an example of how these things work today. Is that, you know, Insight might have like, oh, you know, that doesn't matter. Like, we'll just handle the customer. Whereas Clary's like, no, we need to go to these Salesforce consultants and make sure that they know how our forecasting tool is the best. But not just that, how it helps Iceberg, how it helps yeah. the consultant. Um, And that's that's community today. And I think there's a lot of buzzwords right now. Um, If I could draw a triangle in front of you, I would um, that I think makes this really clear in what's happening. I'm calling this the era of ecosystems, Jeff. Um, So like 2000s was the era of sales digitization, right? Sales went from activities and literally paper um, or in a database to the cloud. Right. And then. The 2010s was the era of marketing automation. Everything that, now that it was cloud native could become automated and accelerated. Now there's too much, too much information, too much noise, too many tech tools. Um, so where are we at now? Well, we're in the era of ecosystems. HubSpot just announced it and called it the age of the connected customer. I mean, very similar thing. Like, Yeah. Um, What is an ecosystem though? An ecosystem is comprised of two facets and connected by one thing. An ecosystem is comprised of communities of individuals that have a shared professional interest, and then accounts, which are partners, that have a shared commercial interest. And those two things are tied together by what? Media right? The ideas, the beliefs, the coverage, the social pulse between those accounts and those people, right? Those partners and those accounts. Now you'll have some community members that are nobodies. You'll have some community members that are massive influencers, right? You'll have some partners that are nobodies, and then you'll have some partners that are massive. And the more that you can utilize yourself as a media organization to make those people famous, to drive that influence, um, those are the businesses that are going to win today.
0: Yeah. Uh, I love your point there too, driving home. Uh, you said this earlier, which was, um, you know, making the customer uh, kind of the lead of the story, right? Making the partner the lead of the story, but the more you can bring them up, it actually elevates your company. Uh, it's like almost, but it's reverse, right? People think, oh, I need to talk about my company first and then I'll talk about these other things. Um, the more you build those two people up, then your company's going to be kind of dragged along in that story and that's always a win. It's always a good
1: I'll, thing. I'll, I'll, I'll end with a, a really good fun way of thinking about this that just it brings it all home relationships and what I would I'd replace relationships with partnerships partnerships are places you go to give not places you go to take yeah right like that yeah and guess what every partnership you have in your life like congrats on your kiddo like I got two at home anytime that I'm in a giving mode it seems like my house runs better but I get more when I give more Anytime I'm in a take mode, it's like, God, things are harder. So if you feel like you're taking from your customers and you're taking from your company and you're taking from your, you know, what would be partners, invert, get in that giving mode because every relationship you've ever had wasn't one that was transactional. It was one where it was based on reciprocity, right? Helping and giving. And you do that. You make your partners famous, your customers famous. It pays you back in spades. That's where the compound interest in the flywheel comes into play. Um, There's a high school friend that I've got. Chris Shembra, who does, uh, he's,
0: he's become a um, big speaker. He runs a, a business that he um, creates these gratitude dinners. Um, it's all about bringing people together. And it's all, you know, his, his one question is always like, who's the one person in your life that you don't give enough gratitude towards that you would, right? But the ethos is along the same lines as you, which is, um, you know, you need to be uh, kind of looking at these moments and saying, okay, I need to be able to give gratitude to these people. I need to be, bring up to the surface that, uh, you know, there are relationships, uh, partnerships in, in my life and in, in uh, business and personal life, whatever it might be, but uh, bringing those things to the surface. So uh kind of reminds me of what you just mentioned. Totally. Um, totally. Uh, Jared this has been fun I like we're convincing hopefully we're convincing customer success leaders out there to look at uh partners and and try and, and you know develop a, an eye for hey how can partners really uh maximize what you're doing in customer success right can help you uh, do more with less I think is the the big thing that uh, I'm taking away here but what uh where can people find more of Jared Fuller and Partner Hacker.
1: Yeah, so um, we have something really special coming up uh, November 7th through 11th. It'll be available on demand, but go to, it's called the Partner Led Summit. So PLX, it stands for Partner Led Everything. It's five days. So PLX plxsummit.com, plxsummit.com, um, or you can go to partnerhacker.com and you'll find it right there. Day five, this is the final day, is all about partner led success. So it's an entire day dedicated to this conversation that we were having today, um, which there isn't anything. Part of the problem actually, Jeff, to go back tying this all together, why are customer success leaders reticent or skeptical or let's just say too busy to make this a priority? It's because there's literally no content out there on how to do this. That's yeah. why I started Partner Hacker. I, I love customer success as a function. I think it's not even a department, it's the entire company. And um, I created this day and we have uh, you know, your uh, counterpart, um, GGR, um, you know, OG as well, Jay Nathan speaking on that day. Yeah. Um, an, some amazing, amazing success people um, that have done thousands of co you know, implementations and co deliveries. So uh, check out partnerhacker.com, PLX Summit. It's 100% free. Um, it's all virtual and online. Um, and um, look forward to building a lot more of this watering hole between success professionals and partner professionals. I love that. Yeah, we're going to try and contribute to that as well. Um,
0: this has been fun. I appreciate the time, Jared. And uh, we'll make sure and link to everything that you just mentioned in the, uh, in the show notes as well so people can easily get to it. Awesome. Appreciate it, Jeff. All righty. We'll see you soon. All right.
2: Hey everybody, Jay here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You know, this started as a labor of love for Jeff and I a couple of years ago, and it's really turned into a movement around customer success and community, and we couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of it. Uh, we grow this by word of mouth, so we'd we'd love it if you're willing and you find value in what you hear on this podcast, leave us a rating or a review on on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It'll help us grow and and provide value to more customer success professionals. All Also, if you haven't yet, please sign up for Gain, Grow, Retain, the online community. It's gaingrowretain.com. You can meet other people, make one-on-one connections, share ideas, get ideas, grow your career ultimately. Um, Be on the lookout also for live events, both in person and virtual this year. We're excited to get back to that. And thanks for being part of the community. We look forward to talking to you soon.